Welcome to the Idea Blog Podcast on the Criminal Code of Canada. This is episode 30 and my name is Lisa Silver. Today we will be discussing section 25, the use of necessary force and law enforcement, part 1. From the release of the Yakabuchi report on the Toronto Police Service's response to people in crisis, precipitated partly by the Sami Yatim incident, to the Michael Brown incident in Ferguson. Never before has the use of force by law enforcement been so discussed in the sphere of the general public. Although much of the present media focus has been around body-worn cameras for police to monitor and record police practice relating to the use of force, the Yakabuchu report actually goes further and recommends a zero-death policy, meaning no death of the subject, no death of the officer involved, or of any member of the public. Whether or not that is possible is a debate for another day, but for our purposes we need to face the reality that force can be used and is authorized under Section 25 of the Criminal Code. We should first note the section descriptor, protection of persons acting under authority. The section, therefore, is not a use of force section as we tend to describe it, but a section focused on protection of those administering or enforcing the law. The protection afforded by the section precludes attaching criminal liability to the authorized person's actions. Also note that the section covers all persons who are acting under authority and not merely the police. Thus, private citizens benefit from this protection as well. In fact, let's take a look at the first part of section 25, subsection 1, now as it lists the persons so protected as follows. Everyone who is required or authorized by law to do anything in the administration or enforcement of the law as a private person, as a peace officer or public officer, in aid of a peace officer or public officer, or by virtue of his office. As is with most sections in the code, the section is both narrow and broad in scope. It is narrow as the persons protected must be acting under authority or as required by law. It is broad as the act can be anything. Furthermore, the person so authorized as already mentioned may be a private citizen or police or peace officer. They are different. Look at the Section 2 definitions. Also, the section pertains to aiding a police or peace officer or someone who is acting by virtue of his office, meaning a person who is acting in a position of a public nature. Now, let's look at the complete subsection 1. Everyone who is required or authorized by law to do anything in the administration or enforcement of the law as a private person, as a peace officer or public officer, in aid of a peace officer or public officer, or by virtue of his office, is, if he acts on reasonable grounds, justified in doing what he is required or authorized to do and in using as much force as is necessary for that purpose. Thus, the protection against imposing criminal liability is limited and only protects the actor if he or she acts on reasonable grounds. If the person does not act on reasonable grounds, then he or she is justified Sorry, if the person does act on reasonable grounds, then he or she is justified in his authorized actions and in using as much force as is necessary for effecting that purpose. 
this section outlines a common law defense of justification. I've discussed justification in previous blogs and podcasts, but I will provide a refresher. Justifications and excuses are defenses, defenses which are available after the essential elements of a crime, both the prohibited act and the criminal intention, have been proven. Thus, these defenses are a concession to human frailty and a recognition that people are, well, human and may act contrary to the law in special circumstances. These special circumstances usually involve exigent circumstances whereby the person has no choice but to act in a manner inconsistent with the law. In the case of justifications, which are defenses of the person and property, the offender, by raising the defense, is challenging the wrongfulness of the act. In other words, the act is a crime in name only, as the circumstances require that the offender be absolved of any criminal responsibility. Thus, the conduct is not wrong, as the offender is justified in using force. Of course, flowing from this argument is the requirement in every justification that the force applied be no more than necessary to repel the perceived harm. This brings us full circle to this section as a use of force section and the emphasis on whether or not the force was excessive in the circumstances. It is useful to compare the wording of subsection 1 to the old defense of the person sections. I say old as the previous sections 34 to 42 were repealed and replaced by the new sections 34 and 35. In the old section 34, self-defense against an unprovoked assault where death or grievous harm is not intended, an accused was justified in using force that is no more than is necessary to defend himself. As you can appreciate, self-defense for a non-authorized person is restricted and the admonishment is to minimize the use of force to what is only required. In contrast, Section 25 is permissive, as the authorized administrator of the law is permitted to use as much force as is required to fulfill his or her duty. The new Section 34 does not use the same language as Section the old Section 34 or Section 25, but instead requires that the act be, quote, reasonable in the circumstances, end quote. The, quote, nature and proportionality, end quote, of that response under the new section is only one factor in determining the reasonableness of the act in the circumstances of any given case. In contrast, Section 25 only differs only offers a list of factors in determining the reasonableness of the authorized person's actions where the force is, quote, intended or likely to cause death or grievous bodily harm, end quote. Another similar section which protects persons in authority is section 43, which concerns the correction of a child. In that section, a school teacher, a parent, or a person standing in the place of a parent is justified in using force to correct a child if the force does not exceed what is necessary under the circumstances. Again, this section appears to restrict as opposed to permit. This section does not contain a list of factors in considering the necessity of the actions. The history of this section also sheds some light on the protection afforded by this section. Originally, the precursor to Section 25 covered a number of sections. For example, the present Section 25 not only applies to an arrest, but also refers to the use of force in executing a warrant 
in incarcerating a sentenced offender and in preventing an escape from a penitentiary. In fact, historically, these scenarios were part of the use of force protection, but were found in separate sections. For example, in the original 1892 code under Part 2, entitled Matters of Justifications or Excuse, arguably similar subject matter is covered in the multiple sections from 15 to 44, which comprise over half of the sections found under that old part. There were some changes by the 1905 code, but major changes as in the compression of the bulk of these sections, essentially sections 15 to 37 from the 1892 version, didn't come until the numerous amendments in the 1950s, which resulted in major changes to the 1953-54 code. It is in this version that the various sections were combined and reenacted as section 25. How does the present iteration compare with the 1950s version? The first part of the present section under subsection 1 to subsection 3 is substantially identical to the version used half a century ago. In other words, no changes have been made to the essential elements of this legal protection. However, significant changes were made to the latter part of the section found under subsections 4 and 5 in the 1994 amendments to the code. Those changes brought in the list of factors to assist in the determination of the justifiability of using force that is intended or is likely to cause death or grievous bodily harm to a person to be arrested. In the next podcast, we will look at these changes more closely, as well as the general issue of excessive use of force under the section. By the way, if you want further reading, if you want to look at the text and look at the various linkages available or hyperlinks available, please go to my website, www.ideablog.ca. Thank you and have a great day.